Hey guys, Hi. we are back with another episode of Misery Manor. I'm Cody. I'm Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Hola, como estas? Hello, miserable bitches. Um, so, cool update. I did not break my toe. Well, <laughs> let me put it this way. So, the picture that I posted got horrible. So, I did two cycle classes the next day, which I know so, so dumb of me to do so. But I did it, and next thing I know, my whole foot is purple. I can't even walk. I can barely talk. And when I do, I'm just complaining the whole time. But slowly, it got better and better, and now my toe is ready to rumble. So oh. you can't call me Toady anymore. Yes, we can. You can only call me Cody. At, for a minute, I was footy, because my whole foot <laughs> was fucked. But now, I'm good. What? I'm sorry if you heard a <laughs> shifting. It was my cricket legs rubbing together. Another exciting thing is we um, released that new merch line, the Get In Loser merch. Yeah. Um, I don't think we said it on the last episode because I think I did it on like last Friday. So but, surprise. But, so yeah, surprise. If you want to order any, go to our Instagram page at Misery Manor Podcast or just click on the link in our bio. And you'll be able to pick whatever you want. Or you can go to miserymanorpodcast.com. Oh. I thought it was org for a second. Org. Or edu. Or gov. <laughs> Any of them. Miserymanorpodcast.com. <laughs> All right. So. Q-U-A-M. Q-U-A-M. So I actually am going to shock the britches right off of you because of the nature of the, the um, well, I'm stuttering, the nature of the case that I'm doing today, because it's not like something that I normally do. You know, typically I'll do these gory, like, it's either gory and they survive, or it's gory and they die, or it's serial killers. But I'm actually, this one is, I don't really have any trigger warnings. Um, obviously, this isn't a wonderful outcome case, but it is a disappearing, like, mysterious, like, disappearance of somebody. Okay. Um, but... To this day, they have not found the body. I hate that. Um, so I'm going to take you through this wild roller coaster ride. Um, so I'm so not going to have nightmares about someone's head going behind their freaking back? No. Because that was... Alarming. I, did you see what I posted? Yes. <laughs> it was so scary. I mean, the, but great story, but holy hell. So, okay. So I'm just going to start us off with um, just some little facts okay so disappearances as we know are surprisingly uh, common while some are only temporary others are very long-standing and some unfortunately go unsolved so the disappearance obviously puts the family and loved ones of the person who has vanished under incredible strain and can prove to be very emotionally challenging so fortunately most of missing um, people cases result in the person reappearing within about a year um, but in some body cases, or like body, alive, yeah, or, okay. alive or dead. But um, in some cases, this isn't the case, and 
you know, questions forever remain. So how many people go missing each year? So let's start off with some facts. So did you know that in America, 600,000 people go missing a year, a year? Now, this can be a runaway. I mean, as, as soon as you do the missing persons report, it's counted as one, right? But these are only reported. Right, exactly. So 600,000 people reported to be missing a year. Um, but 80 nine to 92 percent of those people are recovered within a year dead or alive so only that small percentage remains unsolved um so california florida and texas have the most active missing person cases in the u.s wow rhode island i believe has the least amount they only have about 20 but they're also the size of a nickel (laughs) (laughs) i've never been but i have it's beautiful it's where i started college for a week oh really for a week well we are uneducated over here. You know what? I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I did not take my shoes off the whole time. <laughs> totally kidding. So, okay, so that leads us to our case. We're going to be talking about the mysterious disappearance of Kristen Smart. Now, I don't want to get you confused to Elizabeth Smart. Who also went missing and was recovered nine months later, yep, but alive. Exactly. So, because when I first did Kristen Smart or heard of it, I was like, wait, is this Elizabeth Smart? So, do not confuse the two. This wait, is about Kristen Smart. Who's Black Dahlia. Neither of these. I know, but she has a name that's so similar. Elizabeth Short. Oh, there you go. So this is Kristen Smart. So let's start with Kristen's childhood. So she was born in West Germany to her father, Stan, and her loving mother, Denise Smart. So they lived in Germany because her parents were both teachers to children of military personnel. They loved children. They loved teaching children. It was just their passion, right? Mm -hmm. So... When Denise found out she was pregnant, she was so excited because she was told that she was not able to conceive mm-hmm. or that she would have some difficulties along the way. So they were ecstatic. And then the blessings just kept rolling in. Later, they were blessed with two more children, a son named Matthew and a daughter named Lindsay. Now, Kristen was an amazing older sister right off the bat. She wasn't like one of those mean sisters that unfortunately a bunch of us have. Um, she was, she was never like, oh, get away from me. Don't talk to me. Like you're young. If anything, she was like the peacemaker between them and she wanted to protect them at all costs. So it was noted, like if there was ever a fight or like something broke out between the younger two sister or siblings, Chris would be like, Hey guys, like, no, 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 let's play a game. Like, and try to take their mind off of them fighting. Like she just was the peacemaker. She wanted them to be happy. That's Um, Lane's oldest. And that's just how she was. So eventually, Denise and Stan wanted to move back to America to raise their family. Mm -hmm. So loved Germany, loved everything about it, but they were like, "Mm, we should just go back to America and raise our family. So they settled in Stockton, California. Okay. So um, in an interview, when Denise was asked about her children's relationship, she said they had a connection every parent would die to have their children have. The connection uh, between Kristen Smart and her siblings was so strong Denise said that Kristen would not have willingly missed any of her siblings' milestone no matter where she was in life. So if she was at college, she was coming home to see him. If she was here, she would make sure that she didn't miss any of it. So just an all-around great person. Um, and everything about her child was, like, quintessential. Kristen and her siblings would sell, like, lemonade and their makeshift <laughs> lemonade stands in the neighborhood. She even taught all the kids in the neighborhood how to tie-dye t-shirts and all the kids would come together and they would just like tie-dye all these cool t-shirts um and all the kids loved hanging out with Kristen they would constantly be telling their parents like oh can we go outside and play with Kristen or can Kristen come over please 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 like like I said everybody just wanted to be around her 
Um, Kristen would even like round up her neighborhood friends and they would practice these little skits and perform them um, for the parents, like, which I think is cute. So Kristen was very, very sweet. She was loving, um, for example, so one time she was babysitting for a neighbor once and she was doing like painting her little nails in the living room, doing her toes. And she accidentally bumped into this, the nail polish container and spilt it everywhere, like all over the carpet. And instead of, you know, like some kids would be like, oh shit, and try to like cover it up or like- At someone else's house? Someone else's oh. house because she was babysitting. Um, but she was a big girl and she approached the neighbors and she did not try to hide it. She just told them right off the bat. And they said she was so apologetic. She confessed to everything. She didn't try to hide it. She was like, oh, let me help you. I'm so, so, so sorry. So, you know, she's just very, what's the word? Very Cody-esque. <laughs> So growing up, as she got older and older, she found a love for sports. Like she loved sports and she attended Stockton's Lincoln High School. And guess what? Kristen loved sports and to her advantage, guess how tall she was? Six. She four. was six one. Ooh, she's a um, girl. So she was amazing at sports. She also loved to travel. During high school, she studied abroad in London and in Venezuela. Um, and she said when she got back from there, she was like, that's where my heart is. Like, traveling is where my passion is. She loved, like, learning about new culture. She loved just being abroad. She just loved everything about it. Um, her mother said that she was a dreamer and a believer. So Kristen loved school. She loved studying. She had very big hopes and dreams for her future. She was later diagnosed with ADD, but she didn't let that stop her. Mm -hmm. um, she did come with, obviously, it was challenging at some points, but, you know, she still excelled in school. She wanted to be an architect when she grew up. She even drew out plans for houses that she wanted to build one day. Um, she was wow. just very curious about life, and she planned everything out, out that she wanted to do or be to a T. So, like, when her friends would have sleepovers, she would, okay, so at this time we're going to watch this movie and then we're going to do this. Like she was very organized and loved it. So she was like the person that you would want to go to Disney World with and be like, all right, we're going to wake up at nine o'clock. We're going to have breakfast at the hoop to do review. Then we're going to go to Epcot and do all this. <laughs> like me, I'm just like, what are we doing today? But she loved planning everything out to a T. That's so, the only vacation I ever plan out. Yeah. Well, you have to plan Disney World or you're screwed in the booty tootie. I know. So after high school, she got accepted into California Polytech, which is otherwise known as Cal Poly. Oh, okay. And yeah, I, I have rang no about, idea what that is. Oh, you don't? Okay. Well, <laughs> no. Cal, I'm just going to refer to it as Cal Poly. It's like a technical school. Okay. And she was stoked, especially um, the summer before heading off to camp, um, heading off to school. Um, she was like, "Okay, I need to live it up. This is my last summer before school starts. You know, when I get to school, I'm going to be so focused. I'm going to be studying. I'm going to be working." I don't know when I'll be able to have a free summer next. So Kristen decides to get a job this summer, which you're like, wouldn't you want to not work in the summer, your last free summer? Um, but she wanted to make some money before school. Yeah. So Kristen gets a job as a lifeguard. But here's the cool part. Remember how I said Kristen is very spontaneous and she loves to travel? So she goes up to her mom. And she's like, hey, mom. So I've been thinking, do you think for my last summer before school, I could live in Hawaii for the summer and get a job? And her mom was like, honestly, I think that sounds like an amazing idea. So she sends her off to Hawaii and she has the best time of her life being a lifeguard at Camp Makolia. 
don't know if that's how you say it, but that's, that's how, how I sounded out. Camp Makalia. So it was a, kind of like a camp for her kids. So she was just kind of the lifeguard. Um, so Kristen loved her time in Hawaii so much. She even wrote a poem about her experience. And it says, I face into the wind. It purrs and whistles its secrets into my hair under the sun floating upon the salty waters. I cringe with excitement to be in such a heavenly place. So, and she said, her mom said one of her favorite quotes to live by was, live your life to be an exclamation rather than an explanation. Oh. Which I was like, okay, baby, yes. Don't be a period or a question mark either. I'm the triple exclamation point. Yeah, you definitely are. I'm the big old question mark. You're the shit emoji. So let's fast <laughs> forward. <laughs> so let's fast forward to college. So she comes back home from Hawaii. Um, and she settles into college really, really well. Like, Kristen starts making a good amount of friends right off the bat. They were just really drawn to her. Um, a lot of them said she's so tall, it's hard to miss, but she has, like, really blonde hair. She's always smiling. Oh, wow. um, so people just kind of wanted to be her friend. Um, but so remember how I said she wanted to become an architect? Yes. After traveling to Hawaii and thinking and writing the poem, she was like, I kind of want to study journalism um, and be a journalist, like, overseas. She was like, why don't I just travel and become a journalist and, like, do reporting, you know, overseas? So that's mm -hmm. kind of where she was heading. And at tech school, she could do that? You can do that. I think that's, like, it's kind of like when you go to, like, a maze business school. You can still do, like, communications, public relations, different things like that. So I think that there was, like, a... That just might have been, like, Their the, specialty. The, the main reason why you would go to that school. Like, because you're a farmer, because you went to A&M. Right. And didn't you say you didn't go anywhere? I went to culinary <laughs> school. <laughs> so she got a, a job as a lifeguard at the rec center. Um, okay. And she had to be at work in the mornings at 5 a.m. Okay. So she would go to work, go to class, come home, study, kind of repeated. Right. So at first I was like, who the fuck is swimming at 5 a.m.? And then That's I saw it was. They all swim. But then I saw that it was the rec. I thought she was a lifeguard at some pool. And I'm like, oh. No, oh. <laughs> so I was like, oh, hell no. So, yeah, people were coming there to swim laps before their day, right? Yeah. So she would set her alarm to 4.30 a.m. every single morning to get ready for work. Now, I want you to remember that time, 4.30 a.m. That's it's when gonna, my alarm is set for tomorrow. So it's going to come up later, okay? So Kristen was kind of going through this moment where she's just trying to find herself. You know when you get in college, you, you don't really have your parents tell you, like, you can't do this, you can't do that. So she started just dyeing her hair more of, like, a brunette color, um, it really accentuated like her cheekbones, she said, um, and she started like messing up, uh, messing with makeup more and just really trying to figure out like what her style was. Um, and she was really maturing into a beautiful, beautiful young woman. So it's said by Kristen's family that she never really liked getting attention for her appearance. But later we find out that Kristen kept some things from her parents, um, like any normal college. I didn't tell my mom what I was doing every si single second of the day. So. Good. It was later found in a trial, something that neither her parents knew or Kristen's, does, that Kristen wanted them to know, but she wanted to become a model, okay? Okay. And at Cal Poly, she would tell people that she was a model for a swimwear company called Roxy, and she even went by the nickname of Roxy. It was also news to them that she had a relationship with a boy at Cal Poly who was upset with her one time and lit her running shoes on fire and placed them in front of her dorm door. What the hell? So both Kristen's parents said that she did not talk to them ever about boys except for one crush that she talked to them about the fall of her freshman year. So that just goes to show that she was keeping some things from her 
parents, and that later came out in a trial, okay? So I'm just giving you a little snippet. But, I mean, like, what she's keeping from them isn't, it's, like, nefarious. It's not, it's, it's just private. She's right. just being private. Right, okay. So now we're going to talk about Paul Flores, and we're going to say his name over and over again, okay? So people would refer to him on campus as all these different nicknames, okay? Oh, my gosh, can I choose which one we're going to go by? I already picked the one that we're going by, and I know you're going to pick it. So they would call him Scary Paul. Creepy Paul, and the most popular one was Chester the Molester. Oh. <laughs> so that was like his nickname. Now people wouldn't be like, hey, Chester the Molester, what's the good, like, what's tea? No, like, it was just like, oh my God, that's, that's Creepy Paul over there. You know, or that's Chester the Molester. So like, <laughs> right? So Paul was always aggressively pursuing women on campus. So but super, he was older? Sorry. No, he was, he was on campus. He was just like a sophomore. Ew. He went to the school. So he would just follow women to their dorm room and would just be, like, harassing them and saying, like, what are you up to, gorgeous lady? And the, all the women were like, ew, get away from me. Like, what is your deal? Like, nobody no. wanted anything to do with them. So it was clear to everyone that this guy was just not a good time to be around. A lot of people didn't know at the time, but this guy, but Paul had some crazy, like, history. So in eighth grade, he beat up this kid so badly that the kid had to be rushed to the hospital and be performed on immediately. So <gasps> just... Molly wop that kid over and over What's again. What's a Molly wop? I think it's just where you just boom, boom, you know, just beat, beat, beat. Okay, I'll show you later. So when the police <laughs> and the doctors are like, well, you know, this is an eighth grade fight. We probably shouldn't arrest Paul for this. He's in eighth grade, but we're going to need to tell the parents. So they tell the parents that he sent someone to the hospital. Right. Yeah. But they're not going to arrest him for it. So they tell the kid, they're like, look, they tell the parents, look, like your son beat this kid up. We think you're. You, we think your child needs to, like, go to some sort of therapy or some, like, anger management classes. You know, your kid needs to talk to somebody and get some help. He has, like, a lot of built-in frustration. And his parents were like, yeah, no, he doesn't. He was just aggravated. You know, like, he would never he would never do that. Like, we know him better than you. So with that being said, they did not put him in any anger management or get him any sort of help. So he continued to be more and more harmful around others. He wasn't suspended? I don't know about that. I mean, I'm assuming he was. So he grew up just going deeper, deeper, deeper into this routine. So he would get like little part-time jobs in high school. And during work, he would walk up to like his female colleagues and just like grope them. And he would just laugh it off and say things like, I know you like it. Ew. And they'd be like, ew, get the fuck away from me, you nasty little shit. And he would respond, (laughs) you're just pretending to not like me, you attention whore. So like, clear delusion. So... Paul even had the police called on him for being a peeping Tom. He was caught on many occasions peeping into the homes of people in his neighborhood, and he had no shame in his game. He was literally doing this in broad daylight. Like, looking in. Just in broad daylight. It's almost like he has this... He wants to get caught, right? Either that or he just thinks he's going to get away with everything because he has so far. For sure. So in college, he wasn't doing well with making the best grades, like at all. And and Kristen was struggling as well. And I think most freshmen do, right? It's so much different from high school. You're trying to find yourself. You're finding new friends. So I I don't know. I was making like bone broth and... Yeah, in culinary school. (laughs) So Kristen was struggling. He was struggling. But... um, she was actually trying, and he didn't. He really did not give a shit at all. So the only credit that he got for his first semester was for bowling, which was a pass or fail class, and oh. he only passed the class. Um, so he passed that class only, resulting in him in having a zero a point six GPA, which oh. immediately put him in academic probation. A point six, six? right? What's he, it supposed to be? 
well, there's no what it's supposed to be, but like 4.0, I think is the best. Most people are around like 3.0. I um, guess it depends on I where you go to school and how smart you are. But needless to say, 0.6 GPA ain't good, baby. That probably would have been mine if I went to real school. Oh, you're just roasting yourself today. So <laughs> here's another story about Paul. So local police had a run in with him one time in the morning because Paul was drunk, belligerent, and he was caught on the balconies of these women's dormitories, like harassing them and refusing to leave and like looking into their the, on uh, their balcony. On their balcony, like looking into their dorm and they're like he's like, Let me in, let me in and Ew. just drunk wasted. And the girls are calling, like, Oh my god, there's a drunk idiot on my balcony. <laughs> it's so, Chester the molester. So however, when they came to arrest Paul, they were like, Oh, you know, kid, like, we'll let you go. You're just, you know how drunk college kids can be. They basically gave him that storyline. So he was done. And they gave him a little slap on the wrist. I think he spent one night in jail until they could see him. And that was it. He probably, they probably just held him there until he was sober. Sober, right. And then he was caught recklessly driving under the influence shortly after. And he was not reprimanded at all. They told him to go home. Are you kidding me? So now he's been caught. Several times. Well, twice drunk in public. Mm Mm-hmm. So... It was noted that if you were to ask every single person that knew Paul to describe him in one word, they all said annoying. Like, he was just loud. He was in your face. He was just saying the most stupid shit ever. I hate people. Um, And he would, like, go up to guys who had girlfriends and just hit on their girlfriends. He'd be like, hey, pretty lady, like, you look sexy. Like, oh, you got a boyfriend. I can do things better than him. Like, just weird. He's probably a fucking virgin. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's funny, because this next paragraph. So, <laughs> people would just, like, say that he would just brag nonstop. Like, he, they would be at a party and be like, he'd be like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't believe how much sex I've had. You know, <laughs> all the girls love me here. And then it was like a joke within the college that he was a virgin. They're like, no, he's a fucking virgin. Look at him, and look how he acts. Who is sleeping with this people fool? People that talk about it usually aren't doing it. <laughs> right. Okay, so this is when we're going to get into the case right wait before you start can you tell me if my bangs look okay yes so on may 24th 1996 it was the friday before memorial day weekend so at cal poly you had a lot of students packing up for like the long weekend like some were going out of state for like parties Mm -hmm. some students were going back home to enjoy it with their family and friends and others were just going to stay put right So Kristen decided that she was going to stay on campus and a lot of her other friends were going to stay as well, including her best friend at the time, Margarita. Uh, Margarita even lived in the same dorm as her and Kristen's uh, roommate at the time had left. So she had the whole room to herself. Okay. So Kristen's like, okay, let's go have fun. Let's dress up. Let's start looking for some parties on campus. So they put on their clothes and they get all dolled up and they go searching for a party, right? Mm -hmm. So Kristen... This is really strange. So Kristen decided to leave her ID and her wallet in her dorm because she was like, well, we're not going to the bars and I don't really need it. I don't want to lose it because they were going to, you know, go drink and have fun. So she was like, I'm just going to leave it in the dorm. Right. That's um, not that weird. I, I just keep mine. I'll get drunk and be like, where's my wallet? I'll forget that I left it. <laughs> You've left it in my purse a number of times. Right. I always carry my ID because I'm scared I'm going to get in an accident and they right. won't be able to like know who I exactly. am. Exactly. Or if you run out of gas some way somehow and you just need to hurry up. And, but they're walking on campus, so it's totally yeah. different. But it is important to note, at this time, Kristen had recently lost her room key when she was out. So I think she's like a little bit like, I, cannot, I don't want to lose my wallet. I already lost yeah, my room key. That makes sense. But lucky for her... Um, Margarita, like I said, lived with her. So Margarita's like, oh, I got you, girl. Like, no worries. Like, we'll leave together and 
I'll get you back into the dorm because you know once the dorm it's like a key fob. Oh, they live in the same, same dorm. building. Yeah. Okay. And in order to get back in, she would need the key fob, which she lost. So Margarita's like, "No worries, I got you, girl. We'll go together and we'll leave together." So. So they call up two of their other friends, and the four of them start walking around campus looking for a party to join. But to their surprise, there just wasn't that many parties. I think they thought more people were going to stay, and not that many what are did. They doing just like walking around to people's yeah, buildings? in different dorms because you know you can just like I don't at my college at A and M you could just walk to the different dorms. You could see them all, and whatever ones were having parties, you just go in there. So, Ew. um, what if you weren't welcome? So, they were. So it wasn't, there wasn't that many parties because everyone had left to go out of town for Memorial Weekend. So they ended up finding a party, but it was like lame as fuck. So they walked in and they were like, uh, okay. No, and it was just like a bunch of dudes playing video games. So they were just like sitting there drinking like beers and just like watching these guys. And Kristen's like, girls, this is lame. Let's go find (laughs) another party. So like I said, not having much luck on campus. So they're like, let's go off campus to find a party. Like we're not having much luck here. So in the surrounding neighborhoods of the campus, there were a lot of sorority and fraternity houses. Mm-hmm. So they were like, look, let's just walk over across the street to the surrounding neighborhoods. We'll just go to like a frat party. They're always having some sort of party. Let's just go. So one of the friends had a truck and they all hopped aboard and just started driving around to find a little party. <laughs> huh? They all hopped aboard. Oh, yeah. So they find a party and they're like, ooh, 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 pull over. Let's go over here. They're having a party. Let's go check it out. And it looked really fun. Mm -hmm. So it turns out it was actually a birthday party for a frat guy named Swampy. (gasps) Now, I don't know. I don't, obviously, that's not his birth name. And I'm dying to know the the meaning behind that nickname, like Swamp Ass or something. Maybe it's like from Louisiana. Or like a gator hunter. But his name was Swampy. And he was, like, the life of the party. So this party was a lot of fun, right? Did you add that to your list for your baby names? No, baby. I'm not trying to... No. So Kristen really wanted to go inside. But when they get there, it's, like, late, right? And mm-hmm. she's like, let's go inside. It looks like fun. You know, let's go have some fun, girls. But the other girls, they didn't really want to go in. They were like, oh, it's getting so late. Like, frat parties can get really rowdy. I don't know if I'm up for it. Like, kind of, we just kind of want to go home. Then why did they drive out there? Right. And Kristen's like, what? No, please. Like, please. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I don't really want to go home yet. I guess they just felt uneasy about it being like, I don't know. Maybe it was too rowdy. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of people there. Right. So Kristen was not able to convince her friends to join her. So Margarita was like, look, girl, here's the dorm key. I can get back. I'll just call one of my friends to let me in. If you end up getting there later, you just come in and I'll get the key from you tomorrow. And she was like, okay, no worries. And Margarita, obviously, to this day, she's so mad at herself because she, she was like, if I would have went into that party with Kristen, this would not have happened. She doesn't know that. She, right. But, I mean, survivor's guilt. So Kristen tells the girls bye. and She goes into the party. Like I said, she wasn't worried at all because she can make friends very easily. And she figured she would have a blast, meet new friends. You know, she was new to the college, so she thought it'd be a good opportunity. So she goes in. She's having some drinks. She's meeting some people. She's dancing, listening to music. Now, Here's the weird part. A lot of witnesses say that she was acting very, very strange within like 10 minutes of being there, almost as if she was drugged Drugged. out. That's what I was going to say. So here's the thing. Kristen doesn't do drugs, right? So this leads a lot of people to think that she was drugged very early on in getting into that party. Mm -hmm. Because when she was with her friends, she was fine. They said, we dropped off. We didn't have anything to drink. We just dropped off and she was good. And then some people say, right when she came in, like within 10 minutes, she was just like... They said that she was acting very flirtatious. She was screaming. She was slurring her words. She was tripping. She was falling. Very highly active. 
and they were like, this is just very out of character for Kristen, because a lot of people knew who she was. Okay, because that's what I was going to say, that you said there's so many people there within 10 minutes, how do you... People knew of her from classes and stuff like that. But maybe it was within the 10 minutes that they saw her. Right, and also, the behavior regardless was just not normal for anybody, right? Okay. So what's even stranger is a lot of witnesses said that when they were talking to Kristen, she never even had a drink in her hand. Like, she wasn't drinking, which leads, they're like, okay, she was drugged, right? And maybe she but, was like, oh, my God, I'm starting to feel weird. But, I mean, later, they, she obviously was drinking, but they're not to the point where she was slinging them back, right? Okay, that's what, you, okay, I see what you mean. So they were like, yeah, she was having fun. I maybe saw a drink in her hand once or twice, but other than that, she wasn't really drinking. She was just acting very, very, very strange. Um, so then, welcome to the party, Paul Flores comes, okay? And this is Chester the Molester. And he immediately starts taking a liking to her and hitting on her, they said. And she's kind of, like, retreating, like, stumbling, trying to get away. Um, and he's just like, come here. Like, I want to talk to you. Ew, I cannot and, wait to see his picture. And she's just, like, trying to get away from him, right? So something happened that led to Paul being on top of Kristen on the floor in this party. And witnesses don't know if he had, like, pushed her over or if he had fell on top of her. But Kristen was, like, not happy. She was, like, screaming, like, get off of me and, like, trying to get up. But she was stumbling herself. Yeah. And everyone turned and noticed Paul on top of her, right? And they were like, what the hell, man? Like, what are you doing? Get off of her. And a lot of people were like, I think she was freaked out by him because, like, maybe she was starting to figure out, like, did he do something to my drink? Like, you know, because she's starting to feel ill at this point, right? So she was not having fun at this point. She was not having a good time. So Kristen was like, look, I'm just, I need to get away from this guy. I need to do something about this so she goes into the bathroom to like splash water on her face and kind of just get herself together and this other guy went into the bathroom too um but this guy was just like a random guy he was just like using one of the bathrooms harmless he said that she was just like splashing water on her face just trying to get herself together Mm -hmm. um so she walks out and this random guy is walking out right behind her and so they walk out and paul's like waiting there and he's like what did you guys do in there what did you guys do? Tell me. Were y'all doing something in there? And he's like, whoa, chill, dude. Like, nothing. Like, I was just washing my hands. She was, you know, doing her own thing. Like, I don't even know her. Relax. And he's like, oh, okay, dude, cool. Yeah. Uh, All right, cool. Have fun. Like, he was so concerned that, like... What the fuck is wrong with that guy? Right. So, one of the people at the party named Kendra Coed um, experienced unwanted advances from Paul Flores herself. So she was at the party and she said she went up to him and asked him for a piece of gum. And then he just leaned in and kissed her. Ew. And she proceeded to like, she was like, what is wrong with you? And he was like, I have gum. Like, don't be so sensitive. And she walked him, she walked with him to his car to get the gum where he said it was. After he kissed her? Yes. And he tried to kiss her again and she pushed him away and she ran back inside the party. I hope she got her gum. So Kendra also said that she saw Kristen Smart at the party on the driveway at a nearby home. While Kendra, while Kendra was walking home because Kendra was leaving the party and she saw Kristen. And she was like, hey, like, do you want me to bring you home? Like, are you okay? And Kristen refused and she said that she was waiting on somebody. Um, but she never said who. And Kendra said she was very concerned for Kristen because she was highly intoxicated on something and she was, like, incapable of taking care of herself. Um, she said during the initial conversation, Kendra said um, Kristen could barely keep her head up. It was just bobbing and she could barely talk. So she was like really 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 worried but she trusts that someone was coming to pick her up that does sound like 
But she wasn't aware that she, it took her a while to come forth about this because she wasn't aware that Kristen Smart was the one at the party until she saw the missing posters because Kristen was introducing herself as Roxy <gasps> at the party. So people were like, oh no. So this girl didn't even know her before the party. No. But she was sweet enough she thought to it was Roxy. Her- yeah, she had no idea who she was, but she thought she was named Roxy. So here's where it gets crazy. So around 2 a.m., Tim Davis, a senior at Cal Poly, walks out and he sees Kristen lying in the grass next door at the neighbor's house, just out in the open. Probably the same part where um, Kendra had saw her, right? So at this point, Kristen was like completely out of it. And he goes up to her and he's like, oh my God, well, I can't just leave her here. Like, hey, 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 are you okay? Like, you know, I need to get you home. Like, what is your name? Can you, can you talk? Can you like breathe? Mm -hmm. And she's like, mumbled like Kristen like her name (laughs) and so Tim is like hey Kristen like we need you need to get up like you can't sleep here and he said that she just kept saying it's cold it's cold it's cold I'm freezing so he's like look I know let's get you home and it was only about an 11 minute walk from the party to her dorm so he's like let's get you home what's your dorm I'll walk you to your dorm you'll get there safe so Kristen tells him that she lives in this in the dorm called Muir Hall so he's trying to get her limp body up. She's six one, okay? So like, you know, she's a Oh, and if she's hip, like right. limp, she's like dead weight. Dead weight, yeah. And so right about that time, a student named Cheryl Anderson comes out and she sees what's going on and she's like, Oh my god, let me help you. Like, is what do you need me to do? So Tim said, I think she had like too much fun at this party. She's very drunk. We just need to get her her home safe. So they both decide that they're going to help Kristen walk back to the dorms. And these are just nice people. They don't know know. her. They have never met her in their entire life. But they, you know, obviously she's a woman. She's on the ground. She needs help. So they help her. Um, So um, they put her on their shoulders, you know, kind of like with the legs kind of dragging. And so they start walking and somebody else comes to help. And it's Paul. Uh. Paul appears and they were like, I don't know if he was like lurking outside, but he just appeared. Like, was he smoking? Was he getting fresh air? The party's still going on at this point. This is 2 a.m. But he was outside. And so he sees them helping her and he's like, hey, let me walk with y'all since you're going back to campus. And then he acts surprised when he sees Chris and he's like, oh, no, she can't walk here. Let me help you. They don't need help, Chester. And they don't know that what had gone on on the inside. Like, they didn't see him falling on her, so they don't know okay. that they... they but just do they just, know him? No, they have no idea who she is. Who him. he is, yeah. So he puts his arm around Kristen and just kind of helping them limp her back to campus. Okay, but there's no place for a third person in this. I think he's, like, hugging the side of her. I know. So, that's weird. So the, but, And that's what I'm just about to get into. So they said that the whole time he was actually being very creepy during all this because she couldn't walk on her own. So it was almost like he was hugging her and, like, holding her more than just helping her walk. Oh, wow. um, so the whole time they both said they just thought it was very creepy and just very, something was really off. So they start on their walk back to campus, and it's only a half mile. So maybe 11-minute walk, maybe even less. And um, Tim Davis was the first person to separate from the group. So he had actually driven his car and parked outside of the dorms not very far. And he was like, hey, you know, this is where I parked my car. Do you think you guys can handle it? Like, her dorm's right up there. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, don't even worry about it, Tim. Like, he left Chester the molester with the... The Cheryl's there, too. I- so Cheryl... Um, it's going to take her back to the dorm to get home safe. They, you keep saying that they don't know that he's Chester the molester. They think he's some nice no, guy helping. I thought you said everyone on campus knew. No, they don't know who he is. They have no idea. They thought okay. he was just some nice guy helping. So 
Cheryl, so that leaves Cheryl and Paul. So Cheryl and Paul continue to walk with Kristen, and mm-hmm. eventually they're back on campus, and the first uh, dorm hall they passed was Cheryl's. So Cheryl's like, hey, this is actually my dorm. Are you guys okay? I mean, I can totally walk Kristen back if you need me to. Like, do you need my help? And he's like, no, 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 no. I got it. Thank you, though. But before you go, this should have been a red flag. Before you go, do you think you could give me a kiss? So she's like, what? No, thank you. Have a great day, weirdo. And she like runs into her dorm. He's like, well, then why why can't you just give me a hug? Come on. Just a hug. So she runs into her dorm. She gets the hell away from him. And she did not think in her mind at this point that he was capable of doing anything. I mean, I'm sure she had had been drinking too. Right, of course. So now we only really have Paul's side of the story because he was the last one to see her. So he claims that Kristen was stable enough to walk on her own back to her dorm, which was 100 yards. So you had to drag her the whole way there. And then all of a sudden she's like, well, that'll do. Thank you so much. Yeah. And she can get into the stairs, work the key for all that. No. No. Right. So he said he went straight in, that she went straight into her dorm and he continued on his way straight into his dorm. He didn't ask her for a kiss? No. That's what he said. So he said the next day comes around. Nobody can get in contact with Kristen. Her roommates, her best friends, no one. I mean, they are confused. Her friends were worried because they were like, yeah, like, Kristen liked to party. We had a good time. But it's not like her to just go crash at someone random's house. Like, she was very responsible. Loved to have a good time. But she wouldn't just, like, not, you know, end up where she left off. Like, I knew she was coming back to the dorm. So they just said it just doesn't make sense. This is mid-90s? So mm-hmm. have a cell phone. Yes. So on top of that, Kristen had this red back... Yeah, they did have cell phones, didn't they? In the 90s? Probably not them. Bag phones. They had bag phones. So they on top probably of th- had a beeper. Right. They could have had that. So on top of that, Kristen had this red backpack that she brought with her everywhere. So when her friends finally were able to get into her room, they saw like her red backpack was there, her ID, her wallet. So mm-hmm. this showed that she had never actually made it back into her apartment or her dorm to get any of her belongings they were like this is not good all of her stuff is still here we have to report it to the campus police like we've got to do something so they call the campus police and they are not much help at all they're like well no she's probably on vacation with friends it's the holiday weekend you know it's memorial day weekend and they're like no 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 we were with her she went to a party last night and they're like you never know like they were giving them the run around and they're like yes but her id and her wallet is here she's not on vacation like she would need all that But the campus police refused to do anything about it, and they did not want to involve the local police at all. Wow. So her friends were like, fine, we're going to call the police ourselves. So they do. And so at this point, it's about 48, 36, 48 hours since she's been missing. Because 2 a.m., it's been... They haven't talked to her parents? mm Mm-mm. Shit. I think they were trying to cover for her if something like, you know, they didn't want to... So... Yeah. So the friends tell Kristen's family after... About 48 hours, and they start freaking out. So they know Kristen would never do this. They, mm-hmm. she, Kristen called her mom every single Sunday, never missed a beat. Okay. And she gives her the lowdown on, like, what has been going on at school, like, what she did that weekend. So her mom said they never missed a Sunday catch-up session. Um, the last the Smarts family had heard from Kristen was the Friday before that weekend, so the Friday that she went to the party. Mm-hmm. And she left them a voicemail saying that she can't wait to talk to them on Sunday and share some good news. So Denise, the mother, was like, I think she was calling to tell me about a test issue that was resolved. But that was the last time that they heard from her. So they call the local police and they say, well, you have to talk to uh, Cal Poly police about it. So 
they even called the FBI and they were like, you have to help us. Like, our friend is missing. Here's what happened. Local police isn't helping. Cal Poly police is not helping. Like, you have to help us. And they were like, look, you have to start with the campus police first. Like, that's just protocol. So the campus police is now being harassed and questioned by the family, the friends, the students, and even other departments within the school. So they eventually, um, so their first immediate reaction was to victim blame Kristen. Of course. So in the incident report that they finally sat down with his um, friends, this is what they said, quote, Kristen doesn't have a lot of friends at Cal Poly. She was drunk on Friday night, talking and socializing with several different males at a party. So they're trying to just make this story up that she was, you know, drunk and just with males. Like, I have a question. This is the friends that saw her missing. They didn't. They weren't at the party, so they couldn't tell the police that she was just talking to males. Right. No. So, so they're they just saying she's a woman. Literally fabricated all right, of that. Right. So it would be a full week, a full week before the campus police decide to even interview anybody that was part of it. So they interviewed Tim Davis. Cheryl Anderson and Paul Flores, the three that were last seen with her, right? So now here's the crazy thing. When they get in, so when they get Paul Flores to come mm-hmm. into the office, he had a black eye and scratches on him. Uh, so they sit him down and they're like, well, what happened to your eye, Paul? What's going on there? And Paul's like, I'm not sure. You know, I kind of woke up with a black eye. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. You think, I think I got it playing basketball. The friend that I was with, he like elbowed me in the face. And they're like, oh, what's your friend's name? And he was like, Jeremy Moon. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So they call in Jeremy Moon. And he's like, what? No, I did not. We we played basketball, but I would know if I elbowed him in the eye. Like, no, that never happened. And so they bring back in Paul and they're like, hey, your friend Jeremy said that he did not give you this black eye. Like, where is it from? You need to tell us the truth. And he goes, you know, you guys caught me. I was so embarrassed to tell you this because I didn't want to sound like a like a pussy. But I was trying to put in my new stereo in my truck, and I hit my head on the steering wheel, and it caused me to have a black eye. I was just being clumsy. So they're thinking, okay, so if he, if they're put, if he's putting in a stereo in the center console, yeah. we can assume that he was in the driver's seat, right? Yeah. His black eye was on the right side of his eye, right? So opposite side of the steering wheel. And they were also like, steering wheels don't have protrusions coming out of them, right? It would make sense if you said he fell on like maybe the gear switcher or whatever. But they well, were like, that is not an, you slipped and that's not enough to give you. First of all, they. It would be smarter to sit in the passenger seat to do that so the steering wheel isn't in your way. Right, and it would be far. Exactly. So they were just like, this isn't making any sense. He's a fucking idiot. Right. So he says, yeah, I was just really embarrassed to tell you, but, like, that's the truth. That's how I got the black eye. So (laughs) what did the police do? They believed him. And... I thought you just said that... Look, this is Cal Poly police. Local police was like, no. So they didn't take pictures, though. So they didn't take pictures of it. The only reference that they have on file of his black eye is because he was pulled over later for a ticket violation and sent to jail. And so they have a mugshot with that black eye on it, but that's it. What about the scratches? Can you see the scratches? You can't see that, but you can see the black eye. And that was the thing that they were most concerned about. Um, but no, that's the, the scratches. But that's the only thing, okay? I need so, to see this photo. So they straight up ask him, so how well do you know Kristen Smart? He's like... I mean, I, I barely know her. I just helped her home. Like, she looked, you know, I'm not interested in her. She was just, you know, helpless. And they said, well, what do you think happened to Kristen Smart? And he said, well, I think she's dead. 
and he's and he goes, well, I have to go. I need to go. Y'all, like, y'all just let me know if y'all need anything else. And he's like, I got to go to my mom's house to help her clean up something. And they said, oh, uh- yeah, like, what do you need to clean? And he says, just some concrete. So they're like, concrete, okay. This so just, just remember that, okay? I can't forget. So they let him go. And the friends and family are livid. So they get a group of volunteers and they start putting flyers all around campus. Um, and it would be a whole month before they actually even conduct a search on campus for the body. Are they being updated with any of like the interviews that are being held or any no, of that? No, they're not. Like the the police is, are not taking they're not taking action on this like like they need to be. So at first it was just the campus police involved, but they realize they can't do it alone. So they do reach out to the local police department. Right? Uh, you should have done that from the beginning. So everyone is just so confused on what the hell happened to Kristen. Even Paul's friends, Paul's friends were confused. Paul has friends? Yes. So, for example, one of them had seen Paul. Oh, this is good. So one of them had seen Paul the day after the party, like the morning after, and he had a black eye. Okay. Which would mean that he literally would have had to have got that black eye that night. So the timeline is not being in his favor right so he actually gets called into interview like later that week and he tells the police he was like joking with paul he's like dude like what did you do to Kristen? like you went to that party with her and you said you helped her home like now she's missing and he was just joking and paul said oh she's at my mom's place (laughs) haha and like laughed about it and he was like and the roommate told the police he was like i just thought he was kind of joking i thought maybe like they were dating and he took her to meet the parents like I was just really confused because they weren't like they were roommates I wouldn't even say friends you know so now the police are like oh well that's good information that we need to know so they bring Paul back in and they're like we're gonna hook you up to a polygraph machine okay so Paul's like Paul's like yeah no problem like go ahead hook it hook me up hook me up where's his lawyer or his parents he's a minor isn't he right so his parents are about to get involved no he's 17 so they try to... Oh, I'm sorry. He's not 17. He's in college. I'm sorry. He's like 19. Well, a sophomore. Okay. Right. So they start to hook him up, and then Paul freaks out. He's like, oh, I didn't know you guys were serious. Wait, you really want to do that? Like, I didn't do it. They're like, yeah, you did. So they start asking him all these questions, and in the interview, he's being very strange. Like, he would put his arms inside of his t-shirt like a little kid that's, like, trying to keep warm. He laid in the fetal position on the chair. He, like, kicked his legs up. Like, he just looks very uncomfortable and, like, stir-crazy. And at the end of his questioning, he says, well, I have a question for y'all. And they're like, yes. And he's like, if you're so smart and you're the police, well, why don't you tell me where the body is? That's your job, isn't it? Did they ask him? Huh? Did they ask him, where is Kristen or where is the body? Where, well, because he said he thinks they're dead. Like, they're basically saying that either she's dead or, like, like you tell us. It's just the weird way to phrase well, it. Well, that's why they're worried that it's him. They're like, why is he automatically assuming that she's dead? At this point, it was just a missing person's yeah. case. Like, we're not even thinking that she died. And she the could... concrete right. is, like... Right, so keep that in mind. So, again, you're absolutely right. They're like, why does he keep referring to a body? Like... This is just a missing person. Like, they're assuming, like, maybe she's, like, kept somewhere, like, held hostage, anything, okay, around anything. anything. But he keeps referring to a dead body, right? Oh my so, God. which, right. So the campus searched his dorm room and they, they um, so, but he had already moved out because he was switching dorm rooms for the semester. So to make matters worse, the cleaning crew had already came in there ah, and cleaned everything, right? But she had nothing with her but the clothes on her. But the clothes on her, right? So th- when they searched his dorm, they brought in canine cadaver dogs. 
And those dogs, right when they walked in, started barking hysterically. They went right up to the mattress. They went right up to the bed frame. And they went up to the window. And they were just barking, 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 barking. And when the police gave them the clue, like, okay, you're good. Where else? They went to the bed frame, the bed, and the window. So the like, old ha- the old the dorm. Uh, the old dorm room. Yep. So and they said that the dog's neck almost like broke because they just immediately were like caught the caught the smell. Have you ever watched things yes. with them? Mm-hmm. So they were immediately like, "Whoa, this is." But huge. I don't think you can use it in as evidence. I don't know, especially back then. So, like I said. They started barking at the mattress, the bed frame, and the window. Now, he lives on the ground floor, and this is really important to note, because on the ground floor near Mm -hmm. his window, there's a place for a truck to be able to back up, That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. So, there could be signs, like, she wouldn't have her, like, footprints out, you know? Yeah, and, like, no Mm -hmm. one would see. So, the team even brought in ground penetrating radars to see if her body had been buried anywhere on campus but they couldn't find any signs of that but everyone knew something was very fishy going on because they were like she didn't run away she didn't go on vacation she was taken against her will and they were like almost certain that foul play at this point was involved because he's just a creep right so now paul's family becomes very 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 important to this so his little sister lives by the campus like a mile from campus you could easily run there you could easily bike there drive there whatever and paul would go over there very 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 frequently and borrow her truck there was also phone records that paul called his dad reuben very late that same night paul's dad so he's he called his dad on i don't know what sort of phone but there was a phone phone out uh, a phone call made, right? So nobody could confirm at that time what the phone conversation was about, but a lot of people assumed that maybe he called his dad for help, for backup. And his yeah, because dad... what, it's like 3 a.m., 4 a.m.? Yep. So Stan Smart, this is crazy. So Stan Smart said he stayed in, um, so it's Abisco County, San Luis Abisco County is where this college is, for the summer right after his daughter went disappearing um, because he wanted to help search for her, right? So at some point during the time, Stan Smart said he went to Paul Flores' family's residence, like walked up there, like, I I need to talk to you, um, after he heard about Paul Flores' potential involvement in the case. Okay. So Stan Smart said that this was not going to be a confrontation, rather an opportunity to talk formally. He was like, I just need to talk. I need answers. Like, he didn't go there. that's not smart on his part. I know. Because he has... There's no, there's going to be no record of that. Right. So, and he did this on his own will. So before he could get out of his truck though, Stan Smart said that Ruben Flores approached him and was screaming, go away or else someone will be shot. And he was threatening him like, get out. So Stan left. He's like, these are some aggressive ass bitches. So Paul's Paul's parents, Ruben Flores and Susan Flores. So they were in the middle of a separation battle during this time. Ruben and Susie? Reuben and Susan. Yep. They were on and off. Susan had her own place, but the police never asked about it. So they only ever searched Reuben's home, not hers. Oh my God. <laughs> so they just assumed that the family had all lived together, which was not the case at all. So for the first couple of crucial months, they didn't even search Susan's place. They didn't bring dogs. They didn't bring any equipment. They would just kind of poke around here and there when they finally got to it, but nothing like very invasive. So Reuben Flores' house had two acres of land behind it, and it was filled with avocado trees. But they didn't search there either. They didn't even bring dogs back there to even, like, check things out. They didn't even really investigate that area. 
So, like, I mean, I'm not a serial killer, but, like, if I... Or a killer, but, like, I'd probably bury somebody in some avocado trees. I don't... I don't it just sounds like a good place to throw somebody in. Anyways. Mm. So, in their search, though, of the house, they did find newspaper clippings cut out of Kristen's disappearance under the mattresses in the house. Which they said, well, that's not really a crime. It's a high-profile case. It is weird, but it's not a crime. So they were like, let's search the family's trucks that could have been used. So there was two trucks that they had owned. The sister. One was stolen and one was sold. And they had no record of finding who. So the trucks that they originally thought could have maybe had her DNA in it were gone. They don't know where the trucks are. Well, DNA back then. Right. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. So the trucks were out of the picture now. So at this point, the case is going cold. And people even thought, well, maybe since they're not able to find a lot of evidence of Paul, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe we have the wrong guy. So the internet came up with all these possible perpetrators of the crime. So do you remember Scott Peterson? Yes. So he's the one who killed his beautiful pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson. So he was considered a suspect because when Kristen was a freshman at Cal Poly, they were both seniors there. So they were just trying to connect the two. They were like, maybe he went on like a killing. Maybe Lacey's not the only one he killed. Maybe he killed Kristen. But the timeline didn't add up once they dug into it. So they ruled them out. But people just wanted answers, right? Which I didn't know that that they were. That's kind of weird that they were in the same time. That's wild. So Susan decides one day that she's going to mend the relationship with Ruben. Okay. She's like, honey, let's get back together. I miss you. Yada, yada, yada. (laughs) So Ruben's all about it. And Susan decided to keep their home. Um, but keep her home, but rent it out to a couple. Okay. So she moves back in with Ruben, and in the fall of 1996, a young mother named Mary Lassiter was looking for a house to rent in Ario Grande, California, which was the neighborhood that Ariana they lived Grande? in. Ariana <laughs> Grande? Right. Ario Grande, California. So she spotted an ad for a rental that a woman named Susan Flores put in the local newspaper, and it, she said it was a very charming, it's a, such a cute house. You would love it. They have, like, a porch and, like, little Aww. hanging baskets. Um, so she's like, this charming blue house with, with like, a picket fence. Um, it seemed perfect. So in October of 1996, her and her family moved into the house, okay? But Mary said that soon things became very, very, very strange. She started getting postcards in the mailbox, and they were meant for Susan Flores. And they were asking for her to cooperate with police and have her son come forward. So she's reading these, like, what the French cocktail is going on here. <laughs> the French cocktail. So that's how the Lassiters learned that their landlord's son, Paul, was a prime suspect in the disappearance of the young college student that they had heard about. Oh, my so, Lord. This is this is really weird. So the scariest bit of information that Larry that Mary came forth and said was that every night she would be when she would like wake up, she would hear like a um, she's OK. Let me just tell her quote. She said, quote, in the master bedroom, I'm hearing this beep, 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 beep around 420 in the morning, every single morning. She said it sounded like a digital watch, a digital alarm going off, but the Lassiters could not find the watch anywhere. So she was like, I could hear it in the backyard. Um, so she's like starting to dig up in these planter boxes. She's like, I think that there's like a st- like a stopwatch or something in there, but they couldn't find it. Um, but she said it sounded like it was coming from the concrete. So remember I said that she set her alarm for 420 to go to work. They think that that's, she was hearing that, but after a couple months, the battery died and she couldn't hear it anymore. So keep in mind, though, her entire backyard, which was once covered with grass, was completely filled with concrete. 
okay? There was little holes where they had planters where they like cut the concrete out and had these planter boxes, but that was the only like bit of land that she could see. But she said it was coming from like in the concrete. So she said oh the beeping God. she said the beeping sound drove her crazy. Like she would go out there in the middle of the night with like sticks and she's like poking around things, like trying to find I hate it. These pimples. I hate this. And she was really sad when the batteries died because she was like, I felt like I was getting closer and closer to finding this. Like this could have solved the whole thing, but she couldn't find it and it died. So one of the neighbors even told Mary they, they said, I, I recall seeing them throwing something out that looked like it was rolled up in a rug. And they Wait, would, who said this? The neighbor. Okay. The neighbor to When the, like, Susan still lived there. When Susan still lived there. And they said it was also very weird because the family in the middle of the night would dig holes in the ground and fill them with concrete. She's like, that's just weird. Like, For like why a is it, period of time they yeah, were Yeah, she's that? like, why is it going on in the middle of the night? Like, it was just weird. So Mary and her family are like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is some sketchy-ass shit. So with all of this that they're reading in the news, they see more and more articles coming out that the Flores family is the primary suspect of the disappearance of Kristen. So one day Mary is um, washing her car in the driveway and she finds an earring and it had like a little dried blood on it. Okay. So she keeps the earring and she turned it over to police. She's like, Oh my gosh, like I, I found an earring or like a, like a charm or something like here, like you like run DNA, do whatever you need to do with it. I think it looks like the, um, and it looked like the, um, pendant? the pendant on her missing sign, like her missing call pally, um, student missing. So, so this they, hasn't even been a year yet. No. So they take it. Guess what? The police lose it. Motherfucker, they always do this shit. They lose it. They were like, we misplaced it. They said misplaced it. They don't know where it is. So Sweet Mary finds a replica. And she's like, this is what I found. Look at that billboard. They freaking match. He's like, no, that's not what it looked like. Like, I remember that's not good enough to... That's not good enough evidence for us. Because can't use that. She can't right. just be like, that's what it was. He's like, yeah, that's not evidence for us to proceed with an arrest. Like, I'm sorry. So all of the drama back and forth between the Flores family and the Smart family actually resulted in some civil lawsuits. So the Smart family had sued the Flores family for unlawful death. Paul is asked, so Paul is asked to come into the police station for further questioning. He comes in with this attorney and he pleads the Fifth Amendment 27 times for every question. So they would be like, can you tell me about this? I plead the Fifth. Can you tell me about this? I plead the fifth. And he said it 27 times. You're like, well, this isn't going to fucking work. I know. Chester. So then the Flores family sued the Smart family for emotional distress. Okay, let that sink in. Their daughter's missing. And you're suing them for emotional distress. So Susan's like, so Susan's pissed at Mary because Mary's like, you're working with the police. Like, you cannot live here anymore. So she evicts them out of her house because she's like, you're working with the police. Like, how dare you do this to me? Because, you know, she's like, hey, police, look what I found in their backyard. So she kicks them out. So searches continue to happen in Susan and Ruben's home as well as at the canvas, but nothing was coming up still. Not a single thing. What about the rental? So I'm going to get there. Sorry. So in 2001, Ian Parkinson became the new sheriff for the St. Louis Abisco County, which is the county they lived in. And he promised the Smarts case that solving Kristen's case would be his number one priority. Love that. So he hired a detective to work full time on the case. But after many searches and many interviews, nothing was coming up. But he did say 
Paul Flores remained the main uh, suspect at this point, right? So here's the crazy part. In 2019, Chris Lambert started a podcast called In Your Own Backyard. And he started it because he was he felt very connected to the case and he remembered it, hearing about it as a young boy growing up. It had always fascinated him, like with all the details of the case, the fact that it was unsolved. He said he remembers seeing Kristen Smart's face on a billboard still up, like recently faded behind trees because her family didn't want people to stop talking about it. And it said like offering $75,000 reward. He was like, you know, I feel very compelled and passionate to do the best I can to get answers for this family. So he traveled to the campus of Cal Poly and starts walking the campus. He walks down the same path Kristen took before she was abducted. He interviews these private investigators, these students, family members, people that were at the party. And he's like really stirring up some like some good information, right? So this podcast episode takes off and it is getting so much media attention. Police hear about it and they say, okay, well, we're going to do some searches of the house of Paul Ruben, Susan, and Paul's sister. We're going to do more. We're going to do more, right? So finally, after 20 years, because of the podcast, they started um, that they found um, some things of interest. So the first thing that they found, um, wait, hold on. Oh, sorry. So their new belief was that Kristen briefly was buried under the deck of Ruben's house. Then she was later moved to Susan's house, and they believe that she was recently moved again. When people start like, oh, we're going to go here, they would dig her up and move her back. So so they seized a lot of electronics from Paul Flores' house. So they found rape porn. They found homemade videos where he was giving people date rape drugs and taking them home and raping them. He had a file on his computer that was called Practice. And it was him raping people. Okay, that's a trigger. You right. said there were no triggers. Sorry, that's a trigger. So he had a um, file called practice, which they were like, what? Like, what is he practicing for? Like having sex? Like, and rape, like, and date raping people, which goes back to the way she might have been drugged at the party, right? The date yeah. rape job. So all of these homemade um, videos were taken under. And since then, about 30 women have came forth accusing Paul of sexual um, misconduct. So ranging in like from his college days to like after college, like 20 something years have passed at this point. Right. And he's and getting he's away still with doing it. it. Mm-hmm. So finally, in 2021. Oh, and let me mention this about the concrete in the backyard. The police told them that they didn't want to destruct the concrete and like dig it and dig it up and stuff because they didn't want to have to pay for it to say. be um, redone again. Yeah, I I couldn't believe that. That's. So, I mean, it happens. Right. That's so disgusting. So, so finally, in two thousand and twenty-one, both Paul Flores and his father were arrested because they felt like they had enough evidence to make an arrest. Paul was forty-four years old. Reuben, his father, was eighty years old. Oh my gosh. Paul was arrested for murder and his father, Reuben, was charged with, like, accessory after the fact, Mm -hmm. like, helping him, right? So keep in mind, though, they still have nobody. Nobody. But they felt as though that they had enough evidence to make an arrest. So I'm just like, fucking finally, 20-something years later. Can I ask who owns the rent house now? Just, like, a random? I don't know. I actually thought about putting that in there. No, I don't think she does. But I 
can put it in the show notes. So Kristen was formally pronounced dead on this date. Um, They did hold a funeral for her, um, but obviously they didn't have a body and her mom said it did not feel the same, right? They just wanted, they just wanted to put their daughter to rest, right? Um, But a lot of families of kidnapping victims showed up to show their support for the Smart family. So the governor of California also signed a law, the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act, a bill which requires all public colleges um, in public publicly funded educational institutions in California to have their security services make agreements with local police departments regarding cases involving or possibly involving violence against students, including missing students. So is that like a new law? Like Gavin Newsom did that? I don't, um, in 2019 or 2021. Oh, Oh. I think so. I think so. Because that's where it fell Uh in line. But regardless, that's one good thing to come from her. I know, thing. you're so, just like, shit, that many years later we had to do that? like <laughs> Right, so on June 7, 2002, Paul and Ruben Flores were back in court in California. The trial against the Forestmen, so they're back in court, Wait, right? last month? Yeah, last month. But get that, it's going to be crazy. Literally so a month tomorrow when this right. is out, exactly a month ago. So they're, they're, they're taking them back to court, right? Because okay. they have more and more evidence now. You wonder so, how much they have because if they're not saying it, it mm-hmm. must be good. So this is what's crazy. And I cannot believe, I picked this case not knowing that we were in the middle of this. So when I saw the, the date, I was like, wait, this is actively going on right now. So listen, so okay. they thought that they were not going to receive a fair trial in San Luis Obispo County because of the publicity. Mm-hmm. So they moved it out, right? So the prosecution filed a motion to look into a January 2020 recorded phone conversation between Paul Flores and his mother, Susan. So it's called an adoptive admission. So meaning the defendant admitted to the crime by their words or conduct, right? So in the conversation, Flores told her son, quote, go listen to the podcast. And it's presumably, How? He's in prison. presumably Chris Lambert's yeah. your own backyard, right? So... Um, and, and then she says, quote, and see where we can poke holes in the case. So they thought that was very sketchy. And according to prosecutors, the incriminating line occurred when Susan Flores said, only you know this. So her son did not respond. He went silent, right? So Robert Sanger, Flores' attorney, argued that this is not an adoptive admission because the podcast is, quote, provocative and factually inaccurate adding that it is natural for a mother to warn her son of a podcast that is accusing him of a crime that has a sentence of 25 years to life in prison. So Sanger also said that because Paul Flores did not respond to the comment, that was not an admission. However, the deputy uh, district attorney, Chris Prevalel, said that the recorded conversation did meet the threshold of, of an adoptive admission, and the judge agreed. The judge said, under the adoptive admission statute, statue silence can sometimes be more evident evidentiary than a response especially since paul flores had responded to his mother about all other topics in the same conversation she continued quote the only time silence would not be evidentiary mm-hmm. is if the fifth amendment protects applied in the conversation and in this case it did not so they are going to be looking at Paul Flores' black eye uh, mugshot as evidence as a few other things. So there's a lot more to come. So here's the crazy part. 
Paul Flores' jury selection was held on June 27th and 28th, and Ruben Flores' jury is, was, is going to be selected on July 11th and 15th, and then the trial is going to come. They've only had a pretrial. So there's going to have to be a follow-up on this because they're about to get into the fucking nitty-gritty, and a lot of the sources are saying they have some good fucking evidence. Like, they're not going to do a retrial if they didn't find something good, right? Yeah. So opening statements in this trial will begin on July 18th. Dun, dun, dun. And like I said, I did not pick this case knowing that this was like, I hate to leave you like hanging. I mean, but at this point we can fucking tell who fucking did it, right? Can you show me his picture right now? Yeah, I will. I'll have to pull it up in my phone. Oh, okay. But yeah, guys. And also I want to mention, um, it, can you please do us all a favor? If you're listening to this, I assume that you love the podcast. Whether you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, can you please rate us five stars? Please. It would mean the world. We've had some jackasses. Mm-hmm. Leave, you, new? I think so. <laughs> Leave us not a good <laughs> review. And I'm like, don't do that. If you don't like it, just don't listen. You know, like we're just trying to do our best here and have fun. But all of you that I am assume is listening to this, like us so if you could that would mean the absolute world okay my foot is asleep i don't know if i rebroke it a second ago or if it's asleep i don't know but i need to go read this bad review bye oh no it's it's they just pressed it they didn't they were little pussies they didn't give oh, an actual comment. what yeah. did they put like two stars oh is... my god that's so rude oh, oh bye, bye.